The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Hello and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your hostess today, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Bob Knox of City of Malden DPW. Thanks for having me, Ed. Well, I appreciate you coming by. And uh, if I look a little windblown, the show is actually being taped this afternoon on the daytime Wednesday, the 30th, and then it's run tonight and it's run Saturday and Sunday. But um, I didn't have a chance to have my... uh, Hairstylers, come in and <laughs> help me out. But uh, you know, we got we got a couple of things that are important to the average person and the typical citizens here in Marlin. And that is, f- the, first of all, even though the weather's been great and it's now at the end of September, uh, we'll be coming into the cold weather and the winter weather, and it makes a lot of difference to the city of Marlin residents what you do as far as the parking that goes on in the city when when the winter comes upon us. They've changed the system which is a big plus for the citizens in that they become more flexible in terms of starting dates and restrictions. So, Bobby, uh, give, give a quick background, if you would, as far as the winter parking system. So uh, last last season we came up with a plan. Usually it's uh, November 1st, I believe, that we put the parking bans on, but we come up with a system that we were going to wait until, fortunately enough, the past few years we've had decent winters, we didn't want to burden our residents with uh, moving the cars and having great weather days out there. So we come up with that when we get our first storm or plowable storm or that I declare is a, an emergency, then we would put the winter parking into effect. Well, fortunately enough, we made it through last year and we had some sanding operations and nothing major We that we didn't put the parking on. Um, it would make it difficult for the first storm not having it because some streets are tighter and we're going to send different trucks down there. But I think it helps out our residents with leaving them to have some on-street parking uh, longer into the season than necessary. Yeah. I live on a street uh, and uh, where there's parking flexibility in terms of, the, depending on the time of the year, that there's parking on both sides of the street. And right. it works out for the m- most part. Um, but there are some multiple-unit houses which... And time has progressed to the point where we, we used to assume we have one car in a household. Now you have Three one car per adult. Yeah. And right. uh, so it, it gets to be a little bit uh, difficult sometimes because of the number of cars that are parked on either side of the street. However, we can get by. The only difference is that you have to be a little bit uh, receptive and, uh, and accommodate people coming the other direction at the time. The winters does create a little bit of a problem because obviously you can only park on one side. Yeah. And depending on whether it's an odd year or even year determined by the calendar, sign. right? Um, it, it's a little bit more difficult because uh, what you have happening is sometimes there's not enough room in the yards for all the cars. Right. So it's not unusual for people to overlap the sidewalk, which really isn't fair either because that means people are walking on the sidewalk have to get in the street or walk around cars. Right, uh, right. Yeah, the difficult part about the the on the uh, on street parking is we'd like you and we recommend even when we don't have the parking band on, you know, a lot of people we see out there that have driveways that don't utilize them and they'll park on the street. So we still want to get as many cars off the street as possible to allow us to do our job. And on that first snowstorm that we get, well, there is no parking band. Um, you know, we have to we're pushing snow like a street like yours. We'd be pushing snow against cars, and if there's a back-to-back storm, it can be difficult. But again, so far the past year, it was not too bad of a winter. It worked out. It gave residents more time to use the off 
street parking. And uh, hopefully we have a similar winter this year uh, as, as in the last few years. Yeah, I have a question, but I'm going to – I was start thinking when I, when I was giving my comments before you spoke. But, but there's other, other, another issue here. You have uh, sweeping the streets. And that sometimes uh, gets to be a little bit of a problem for reasons un unknown. Uh, people don't know the rules or they have guests or overnight or new residents. But basically, in terms of the sweeping. Now, mine is on uh, Daniel Street, I think, is the fourth Wednesday. Okay, yeah, usually it follows the trash day, so your trash day is Mine's Tuesday. Mine's Tuesday. Yeah, so usually the route follows the trash day every other week. What we try to, you know, it's either odd or even side. If there's not too many cars on the street when we go there, say it's even side week, we go up, we come down the other side, and we'll sweep both, but only one side is for enforcement. Um, again, as uh, Ed's mentioned, that there are some circumstances where someone will have a visitor from out of out of the city that don't know the regulations and park there and, and get a get a ticket the tickets you can have 21 days to appeal them and uh, usually the director Ron Hogan is pretty fair on uh, working with the residents on on these kind of situations and even another good adjective is flexible flexible he tries to be reasonable absolutely yeah uh, and uh, you know, I, I brought this up before. It's got nothing directly to do with the DPW. But sometime back, this traffic commission, just for, for reasons they felt were important and legitimate, bumped up the, the parking uh, when, you, when the city sweepers come and your car's on that side and the, and the, and the people are all issuing tickets. Yeah. It's a $50 ticket. Right. It, it, it increased a few years back right. because what we found was the $25 ticket just wasn't doing it. People would roll the dice that they weren't going to get tagged. Hop really? On, yeah, hop on the train and park there, and then we'd have a lot of calls of, of in front of certain homes that wouldn't get wouldn't get swept because of these these cars. A lot of the areas would be over in like the Edgeworth area by the Malden train station, like Sterling Street and the streets off of Pearl Street there, because they'd park on one of the side streets, hop on the train and go into Boston, and you know. They'd have free parking, and the only once a month they may get a twenty-five dollar ticket. You know, so um, we did increase it to try to improve our, our job of sweeping, and that people would uh, maybe get it a little bit more. That the importance and the following the schedule. Did you find it made a difference? Yeah, I mean, some areas it it, it, it does. I think I think in those particular areas, I mean. It it was twenty five dollars more, but again, uh, I think I think it was the right thing to do at the time. Okay, because I, I uh, I've had it happen, and I've seen cars in my street, and uh, uh, they get tickets, and and I I often think, but yeah, I think the people either forgot or in some instances I don't recognize the car, so maybe a guest that is visiting, and no one's thinking it's Tuesday and Tuesday right. Wednesday, that sort of thing. So. I have um, commented before on the show that I, I thought it was excessive myself, but you yeah. you brought up points that I had thought about in, in, in terms of the um, uh, the, the T station and paying the park, where, so you roll the dice and you park on the street and hope you don't get a ticket. And if you do, you're not going to get it every day, so it means that maybe at the end of the month you balance it out. You're ahead of the few bucks. Right, right. Uh, and again, uh, like I said, flexibility and the and the parking uh, director is. Accommodating, when you know, I'm sure if there was a certain circumstance that happened once, uh, he would work with you on that. So it's we're not we're not looking to to find you more money or give or make money for the city. We're looking for cooperation in some way of getting the message across that we need you to move for us to do our job. Yeah, yeah. Um, although it does bring money in, it's that's not the the whole reason. Well, the um, <laughs> that's well, but I the thing is, unlike the old days, it was kind of a cumbersome process to appeal a ticket. If you, yeah. if, at one point you had to do it in person, then I think they changed it so you could do it in person or you could send in a request. Right. And uh, and and now, and I've been involved in a few occasions over the years, and um, as I said, my own experience with the with the with the with Ron Hogan, who's involved, is, is extremely fair. Uh, right. uh, sometimes you. You prevail, or you, or you, or you think you're, in, you're more right than wrong in a thing. But, but the amazing thing is, when sometimes people get a ticket, if you go down and you appeal it in person, 
you give them the ticket, they look at the number, they can go on a computer, and they go right there is a big, big screen that shows you where the car was. If there's a, if there's a fire fire hydrant there, or if there's right. a bus stop there, or what all those other restricted parking there, and uh, all of it is right there, very visible. So it isn't like they say, well, they had the wrong car, or the plate's not mine, or whatever. They, it's uh, pretty easy. To evidence try. A is enough, and. Uh, for someone, if they park at a handicapped one, I think the fine is three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars, and I don't think you get much sympathy if you not get, on that one. Not on that one. So, but that, the good the good thing about about the uh, as you mentioned about Ron's system, we're looking it up. So if if we'll, we get calls at the DPW, someone got a ticket or whatever, and if they give me the plate, I'll call and say, Ron, it's ticket number X Y Z. He can look it up, and if they've said, oh geez, they were visiting, they were visiting a nurse, they were this, they were that. He can see on there that they were never ticketed prior, right. and usually those are the ones that you work with. But now, when people say they got a ticket, and they see that the last in the last three months they got five tickets on Sterling Street, that's a little different story. Yeah, you need a good lawyer. Maybe. That's <laughs> it. That's it. So it's it's, it's you know it's all about uh, what the truth is, and somewhere with yeah, the yeah. with the stories with the tickets. Yeah. One element driving around the city, and, and sometimes I'm walking around, so you, you're more cognizant of sometimes things that you see that make it difficult for uh, for the people that are doing the kinds of work that the DPW does. Is parking on the corners. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's Number one, it's a problem for cars that are driving down the street, making the swing in. And and secondly, it's difficult sometimes for the cars. Uh, one street in particular I'm thinking of is Faulkner Street. It's not unusual for cars to be parked along the left-hand side going up. Oh, by the way, Faulkner's a one-way. Yeah. Coming up from Eastern Avenue into Salem, you, you get to Salem Street, and it's, it's Faulkner Street happens to be right next, uh, diagonally across from the Salem Towers, but it's, it's not unusual. In fact, it's rather common to have a car parked on the corner facing Maplewood Square, but since there's a traffic lights just about 20 feet behind those the corner, yeah. sometimes difficult to see out who's coming and who's not coming. Yeah, it makes it does make it. You got to edge out, edge out, edge yeah. out, edge out until you can. You know, sometimes you're you're out quite a bit. We do run into those kind of problems, and we do run into also on on trash day and on recycling day, some of these courtways, these small courtways that are difficult to get into. Anyways, um, somebody parks at the corner and you can't make the swing. I have a, a, a weekly call we get over at uh, Folsom Court and Ricker Court off of uh, Whitman Street. And, I, it, you know, they park right at the corner. They're off. They're not on the courtway. They're on Whitman Street, but so close to the courtway that the trash truck can't make the turn into the court. So it might have something to do with the uh, lunchtime crowd going to the Big A and the Peaches and looking for parking spots. But, again, it makes it difficult for, for us to do what we need to do for our job with yeah. some of the parking. Yeah. The, uh, on the how does the system work with the city and say uh, just alert the uh, the listening audience in terms of uh, you get a forecast of a weather change come uh, November or December January yeah uh, presumably they're reasonably accurate well I we have a we have, we get information from all kinds of sources whether it be the news the you know all the different news stations I also have a weather service that we've been using at the DPW for the last 20 say years which is pretty good I mean nothing is foolproof but what I do is I take all the information that's available to us out there and then come up with a with a uh, a game plan on what time is it going to start about and you know What's the temperature going to be, and do we need to pre-treat the streets, or is it going to be warm the next morning? So we take all kinds of information that we get before each storm and come up with a plan on how we're going to attack it. Again, it's not a perfect science. We then have to sometimes modify in the middle of it where it lasts longer than it should, or it it you know it shortens up. So we have to be able to move on the go, but we come up with a plan, and we that's how we start out each storm, depending on. A lot of things that we look at is it a school day the next day is the school going to be open is it a weekend you know what's the next day's temperature going to be how long of a duration is the storm is it a quick moving it's going to drop six inches in four hours or is it going to drop six inches in ten hours depends on you know what you need from for uh, manpower and equipment and what day and what the next day's temperature is in the morning and all different things that we look at when we come up with a, a formula for a, for a game plan for snow. Do you have someone check the farmer's albinac? 
No, I don't pay any attention to that. <laughs> I don't pay any attention. They say I get it every, every, every year. My wife sends me when it comes out. It's going to be a snowy, cold winter. I said they're all snowy and cold after 27 years. You know, some are better than others. So if it comes, it comes. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned last year was a mild winter. Now, uh, uh, the city's budget starts June 1st. Obviously, in some instances, the 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 money that's allocated for uh, different expenses is is a is a guesstimate. Yeah. And uh, the, one would be the the cost of the snow removal. Um, if you have a good year, I, I would assume like last year, um, you probably didn't use up all the money. No, we use all the money. Oh, you did use the money. We we're it's the only line item that we're allowed to run in the red. Right. We start out the season at two hundred thousand dollars. Right. Every year is that is that twenty seven years is that the same number they've been I think used? it's been the same number ever since. <laughs> but in two, no inflation factor. No, two thousand fifteen, that the bad winter we spent over two million, but we started with two hundred thousand. The first couple of times you fill the uh, the yard with salt, you know you're a hundred thousand in before you hit the street. So a winter like last year, the year was mild. Yeah, I think we did over. Six seven hundred thousand. Still, the, it was still that much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you know, when you go out the door now, you got to pay, you got to pay contractors, and they're getting you know, hundred dollars, hundred something dollars per piece an hour, and so we didn't have a lot of big storms, but but anytime you have a sanding event, um, that happens, and you're putting out contractors, it's it's costly, you know, it's not a cheap thing. So, um, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't like. A bad winter by by far. Um, I hope I don't see nothing like 2015 in the next eight or nine years that I'm here. <laughs> Do you recall how much that budget was that year? How much you spent? We were over two million on the on 2015. It were, yeah. But other, which was actually pretty good compared to some other communities around us. I think some of it was eight million, and and it, that was the worst year that I've seen since I've been here. But we were just over two million. Yeah. You know, there's a, I always think kind of a good news, bad news scenario, and that's this, that, that, that the, with all due respect to the DPW, it isn't like the highest paid group of people that work for the city. And they're the manual labor, heavy duty kind of jobs. Right, right. And uh, because, uh, you know, it isn't a big paying job, although over the years between benefits and whatever else, you know, you can make something of the employment. And, and, and you do have the security, unlike some other industries that you work at. But I used to think back that years ago that the people that worked in the DPW had mixed emotions about the winters. On, on the one hand, at 2 o'clock in the morning, it ain't no fun plowing streets and, 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 and lifting show, uh, <coughs> shoveling snow around. But on the other hand, that was their, really their maybe one time to get up to get enough extra money for overtime to take care of the Christmas <laughs> yeah, so so I guess it's at different stages of your of your life when I Well, that's true. That's another point. When I first started uh you know, I was 23 years old and I used to they used to call it white gold. We'd we'd look for the snow. They you know, the guys that that's like you said, that's how they made their their living on the the salaries weren't great, but it was the benefits and you know, things have changed over the years, but that's where they made their, made their money. Um you know, but then as you get older, I think you wish the other way that you're okay with it not snowing. So there's a there's a, a, a circle of life per se of yeah, of, of yeah. the long time employees that where you one time wishing for it and the next time you're wishing you don't get it. The difference between being 25 and 55 maybe is that <laughs> that true? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, uh, it's the nature of the beast. I always say that if it comes, you know, we have to. Get out there and respond. And I will say that my staff, you know, um, as small as small as they are now compared to when I first started, the uh, when push comes to shove, when we have these emergencies like water leaks and storms, and they are very good. Uh, I have a good crew, and they respond to these situations. Um, I, I couldn't be prouder when they uh, when these things happen because they really, you know, come into work and, and work hard to, for the city of Malden. Yeah. Now, the city is thinking, or in fact, it's, I think it's in committee now, uh, or at least it's something that the mayor has proposed and seems to have the support of the council, is to change the system for rubbish collection. Right. So uh, I believe next week it goes to the full city council for approval. Once that happens, then they'll put the order in for uh, the barrels, 
and uh, start coming up with a time frame of uh, working out with JRM when it would, it would take effect. But I believe it's on the docket for next week for full city yeah. council approval. Yeah. Well, assuming it, and it seems to have the support of the mayor, and it's certainly presumably with his recommendation, chances are uh, I don't hear a lot of opposition. It, it's a little bit cumbersome in that uh, – other communities in the area tend to have a one-stream system. It's an either-or. They don't have a, a, a hybrid. They, they yeah. have either one or the other. Right. We have a double or a dual system currently. We're, yeah, we're, dual, we're a dual-stream recycling community. Right. Which when um, Mayor Howard um, worked on the contract with JRM, it was a dual-stream contract, which means you have to separate your paper and cardboard from the plastics. This model here would be um, single-stream, which means that you can mix your paper products with your, your plastics. Um, also, there's an option in here where if you like using the blue bags, you don't have to go to these to these toters and pay the $75 fee. If you are someone that doesn't want to go out and find the bags, you can use the system, pay the one-time yearly fee of $75, and use the, uh, the totes. So uh, it gives you the it's it's the the good part about it is it services everybody because if you like the current program you can continue that way if you don't like it and you you know you wanted to switch to a tote you have that option too so yeah. it's up to the individual homeowner now uh, one of the one of the f uh, public issues that occurred when they started thinking about it and they had some uh, council meetings where the public it was allowed to give some input. Dep depending on where you live within the community. Now, if you live in a single-family house in, uh, in up off of Main Street near uh, the Rosemont Street area, it's very convenient, this new system that might put in place. Right. Uh, but if you live on Glenwood Street where you've got to go up two flights of stairs to get to your front door, the dilemma becomes, well, if you don't have a, a source on the ground of the street to put the barrels, that's why I guess the criticism with the people was, where am I going to put the barrel and then lug it in and lug it out? But that's where the option comes in. I yeah, guess. yeah, you can. That's that's the beauty of it is the is the option. And talking to other communities that have the barrel program, they had the same problems with certain places like those houses on Glenwood Street or Salem Street across from the Salemwood School, where you have multiple flights of steps to get up to the house. You know, so those are some people that maybe it would be better off for them to opt to use the bags. Um, it, it's that's the beauty of it, where people people say that they only put out one bag every two weeks, and everyone's house is is different. So this gives you the option if if you want to use the program, you can use it. If you want to continue to use bags, if that works out better for you and less money for you and less aggravation and carrying up and down the stairs, and that's that's what you can do. Yeah, or even if it doesn't, uh, if the bags aren't less expensive over the course of the year. It's an installment payment. You're only, you're only spending the money as you use up the bags and re replenish them, whereas the barrels are a fixed fee, which you pay a, once a year. Right. But as I, as I recall, what they're talking about is they give you two barrels, one of which is free. Both barrels would be free, the city paying for them, but one is for recycling and one is for trash. So if you need more, you can buy a second barrel for trash or recycling uh, from the city. But we're going to give you two barrels, one for trash, one for recycling. It's like a 35-gallon barrel for each. Now, say you have more than the 35 gallons of trash, you can then buy an overflow bag and put out the page to throw bag. Um, or you can purchase a second barrel. Say you're, you're a family that's a bigger family, multiple children, and you know that the 35-gallon barrel is not going to be enough for you. You can purchase that second barrel. And what do you have? Any, are they firmed up a cost for that? I, I don't know the exact fee. It's not that expensive uh, for the barrel, um, you know. But then you would pay the seventy-five dollars. But the barrel, both both barrels are the same size. All right. the barrels are the same size. Right. And and uh, how do how do they treat uh, commercial businesses in, in this program? So the the businesses, the smaller businesses that currently use the pay as you throw continue to use page to throw. I don't know if the barrels will be available for them or not. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know okay. if that's if that's going to be. I assume that it would go the same way for the small businesses. If it's a bigger business, they have to have their own private pickup or the, dumpster. Or the dumpster. Uh, so I would say if you're in the program now, you probably have that option yeah. of the barrels yeah. as well. One of the big 
uh, attractions overall for the net benefit of, of the people and the city is the barrels have a lid. Right, attached lid, yes. And, and therefore, um, you won't have this, because right now the complaint sometimes is stuff flow, blows around the windy days, or maybe even at, people tend to sometimes jump the gun when they put the rubbish out and, they, and the animals get out during the night. Right, that that's a problem. When you have a windy, a windy day, we have uh, problems with the we call it snow coning, overfilling the bins, and all it takes is a little wind, and that bin's tipped over and blowing down the street and neighbors' bushes and front yards, and so this would help with that, with having this, all the materials contained in the uh, covered barrels. Um, that's a that's a big plus for us and help with those days that are windy and and stop from having material being blown around the city. Yeah, the uh, uh, there was a public meeting which I, I went down in what uh, on uh, Lincoln Park, and you were there. Yeah. And uh, that was that was had to do with rats. I don't know. Right. It, has that been as serious as they some people suggested? Um, I mean, I heard that as you did that over in that Ward Seven area, they've had some some issues, and I know that the Board of Health has been working directly with Councillor Anderson and the uh, residents over in that area on rats. I don't deal with specifically rats, right? Control, or, or at least you control. don't with four-legged ones, right? That's right, right. We have some <laughs> other ones, but yeah, but no. Um, so I know that they did have the meeting, as you said which I thought went very well. I thought Councilor Anderson did a good job yeah. getting that together, and um, you know, and Chris Webb is working with him on those problems over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah but even now, currently, uh, what, what happens when someone's new moves into the city, whether they buy a property or they, they become tenants in a, in, a, in a residential home? They come from somewhere who wouldn't be aware of what the, the rubbish situation is in Malden. Yeah, they learn pretty quick because what happens is on the first trash day that they put out their uh, five, six, you know, green trash bags and their materials. Especially when you're moving in or moving <coughs> out, yeah. Right. So we have an inspector that goes and drives the trash route every day and educates residents and he'll tag violations and educate them on how to properly recycle. And um, so he would find that going through the trash route that it's not in the acceptable city blue bags yeah. and he would leave notification which then generates a phone call from that new owner and says i'm bob knox i'm a new owner here i just bought this house at 112 daniel street they didn't take my trash and then we go through the whole process of uh how it works and we'll drop them off stickers and give them all the information and literature on how the program is run yeah and so it tends to work. People get get to know the system, so it becomes less. Because all those things are a problem for the rubbish company, which ultimately becomes a problem for the people that work with the DPW. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a definitely a busy job with the trash, and it's a constant education. I mean, there's people that move in and out all the time. Uh, like you said, the absentee landlords that have a three-family rental property, and it's turnover. So there's a lot of re repeat. Education. I think once we, we get to them with the right information, most people will do the right thing. I think it's just educating them on the right process. Yeah. The city has mailed out um, these informational cards relative to the change in system potentially and, and also uh, in terms of how and what you're supposed to throw what way. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's surprising sometimes, even well-intended people sometimes put things in that really don't belong, and maybe they're, they're throwing in the rubbish things that are recycled, and they're putting things that, by definition, are uh, rubbish they put in the recycle bag. And you see um, one maybe one constant item that tends to be flow that way is pizza boxes. Right. Right. Only not, not necessarily because the people are deliberately trying to get rid of them and evade the blue bags, but they don't think about the residue Reese. that's on the on the inside of the box. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a that's a constant one. Uh, you know, actually, if you rip the top of the box off, if it's not soiled, that would be recyclable. Uh, but anything that has any, you know, the soiled cheese or uh, grease from the pizza, that's now rubbish. So right. um, it it is a constant one. I got a text from a guy today over on. Uh, Mount Vernon Street that was wondering why he got tagged and why his recycling was it wasn't picked up and he had two or three pizza boxes in there and he had some 
styrofoam mixed with the paper goods. And so uh, it's a constant education thing. And, and that is one of the things that comes up a lot is like pizza boxes. Now, when you say uh, tagged, is, it, is that a warning or a fine? So we warn you the first time, and we leave you the literature on how things properly need to be done. If you don't understand what we're leaving you, you then call the number, and our inspector, Mr. Prince, will go out there and meet with you, explain it to you, go through what you have there, and break it all down for you. So um, we're not looking to fine. We The fines only come after there's a repeat offender at the same address multiple times. Um, so that's not, you know, it's not a, a lot of fines especially off the get-go, it's more of education. With Marla being such a diverse community, do you find that it's another uh, issue in terms of educating the, the new residents because of the language barriers? Yeah, you definitely run into that. Um, we, we do have some assistance with different people that we work with in the city that speak different dialects of uh, different languages. Uh, if it's Asian, we have an employee down there, uh, Mr. Lamb, Frankie Lamb, that speaks different you know, Mandarin or Cantonese, and, and there's different uh, resources that we can use to get across to people that are not speaking English as their first language. So um, it does make it sometimes a little bit longer, a little bit more difficult, um, but we navigate through it. Yeah. Um, I, I notice sometimes in driving around the community that, uh, depending on where you live, on trash day, you see out in the curb uh, mattresses, Coaches, yep. chairs, uh, what uh, what kind of limitations or restrictions are involved in that? So uh, you're allowed one bulk item per household. We consider a mattress and a box spring a set. So you're allowed to put, if you get a new mattress and box spring, you can put that out next to your blue bag and they'll chair and we'll take it. Um, or a new sofa, you can put your old sofa or love seat or chair, but one per week. So if you get a new living room set, you can't put out your your uh, sofa, love seat, end table, they won't take all that, but one piece per week for free with your blue bag, they will take. But there's a, there's a different set of rules for appliances, isn't there? Appliances, white goods, as we call them, if it's a washer or dryer, an air conditioner or a refrigerator, those are a uh, ticket that they got to buy from the city for $20 or $25 for the, for the sticker, and they call JRM and make a special arrangement for them to be picked up curbside in front of their house. Yeah. And if you and uh, <coughs> in, in fairness to the people that are the, in the uh, the rubbish contractor, what basically are rules in terms of when you can put out your rubbish to start with? Like um, my mine is Tuesday, and uh, sometimes I put it out Monday night. Uh, sometimes in the winter it makes a difference because you know, if it snows in the during the night, they might not even see it the next day. Yeah, we plow it in if yeah. there's snow. And so technically, I, it's a great question, and I, I would hope that depending on the circumstance and the time of the year, that the homeowners would look at the fact that, okay, tomorrow's going to be a windy day. I'll hold off and put it out. It's supposed to be on the curb by 7 a.m. the day of your trash day or after dark. You can put it out the night before. But, again, if you look at what the weather is going to be the following day, you know, I don't usually put mine out until the morning The morning of. Well, you get up early to go to work. I'm, up, I'm out at 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. But, again, yeah. So, depending, like you said, if there's a snowstorm coming in on uh, Tuesday, I would suggest that you don't put it out Monday night, wait till Tuesday morning because, it, it, you know, we run into where we're plowing snow and it, you don't see the bag and it's so uh, I think it takes a little bit of effort on both parts but normally it's after dark on the night before your trash day you can put it out or it has to be out by 7 a.m. on your trash yeah. day. Now I, I noticed in other communities that are on the single stream system that when they put the people put the barrels out curbside the rubbish truck that comes along has has claws which picks the barrel up dumps the rubbish, puts the barrel back, and then goes on to the next house. When Marlin changes their existing system, is that the same system that's going to be in here? No. that's an so. That's an automated system. Right. We, we've entertained all kinds of different options throughout the years, talked about that. I don't think that would work here for Marlin with the density that we have and the cars that we have on the street because that claw needs room to operate. Yeah. Um, so these barrels, the reason why they are 35 gallons and not 64 gallons or 96 gallons, they're going to continue to be picked up by a, a, a human on the back of the truck. So a 35-gallon barrel will be capable of being lifted up 
manually with an employee on the back of the truck. Those automated systems, um, again, you need room to maneuver. Right. Um, if someone were to fill a, a 35-gallon barrel, possibly what would the average weight be of the, that the people are throwing around? Uh, it, it would vary, but we, you know, if it's under 50 pounds, we're, we're not going to bother you. They're gonna, as long as you can pick it up, uh, they're not, nobody's weighing them, but sometimes, believe it or not, there's some 33-gallon bags out there. I don't know what they put in them or how they do it, but you can't pick Bodies, them. maybe. You, it could be <laughs> anything. I don't know, but there are some that you can't. Lots of bodies. Yeah, there, there's some that you can't that you can't pick up, and it, and they're really overweight. I always say to give the resident the benefit of the doubt, if it's a little heavy and you can pick it up, absolutely, let's let's take it and watch it if it's a repeat offender. But sometimes I, there's there's some heavy bags out there. Yeah. I just one quick thing about my own experience. Now this past Tuesday, my rubbish didn't get picked up. I had the uh, the the uh, recycle barrel out, and I had the um, the separate one for the the plastics and the and the glass and so forth. And uh, and the reason was, and it's happened a couple of other times in the not too distant past, is there's so many cars in the street. I, I think as it. the truck comes down the street. Even though I didn't, when I put it out, it was uh, it was visible from the street. As you come down the street, you could miss it because of the cars. They're not that tall, obviously. And this so happened this week. I didn't bother to call you. I was going to say, did we take care of it? I didn't bother. To, no, I didn't even call you because there's another story I want to talk about my neighborhood. I just put it back because it wasn't a lot. I said, well, next week I'll make sure that I that, that, that I'll yeah. leave my own car and then I can change the car in the morning and get it. But uh, my next door neighbor, who, who, who's uh, uh, we had a tree problem. Like I say, there's, that's happened last night and today. We had there's a tree between my house and and Rose's uh, house, and a while back there was a storm and this large tree fell on the sidewalk. So Rose called uh, the DPW and they came down the next day, did what they had to do, and off went the the. the so we had a, another storm recently, and another branch fell off this large tree. Yeah. And it was on the sidewalk, and my neighbor crossed the street, and myself kind of kidding. We said, Rose says she'd call. I said, well, they'll, they'll come out tomorrow morning and be afraid not to because you'll call. <laughs> As it turns out, when, when I went out the next morning, uh, earlier that, and it was early, it was already gone. Apparently, it was one of those, that, that storm, they were out that night. Right, of, the, of the storm and not the next day, and they did the the pickup of the of the branches the night. So now Ray, Rose even looked more influential. Well, she she got a, <laughs> she has a good connection there. Yeah, yeah so no, like uh, you know, we 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 depending on the storm, uh, you know, the severity and what we have to deal with. Yep, there there are times where the, where the uh, staff will work all night long, and yeah. by the next morning you'll see very minimal damages out there, and mm-hmm. then. There's times when, uh, depending on the time that it comes in, like today, uh, you know, they come came in this morning when the guys were in work, and they're out there all day picking up trees and trees blocking streets and power lines down. And if when I leave here today, uh, I'll check the system, see where we're at. You know, they could be here a little late tonight catching up um, on what's still hanging around out there. Yeah. Um, road construction, that, although that's not part of your 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 um your job description, but there's a lot of that going on, which must have some effect on pick, rubbish pickup too. Yeah, we're in constant communication on what's going on. I meet with both the engineer and the mayor on the upcoming projects and where where we're at. So when it gets closer, we do coordinate um, with the hauler. We'll let JRM know, to know to get into the uh, Daniel Street on the first stop of the day because there's something going on there later in the day. So we, it, it takes a lot of coordination. I will say, which is actually a good point, talking about road construction, we have a, a big project coming up starting on Thursday. We're going to be paving Ferry Street from Belmont Street to Cross Street curb to curb. So the miller will be out there on Thursday and Friday and prepping and resetting and adjusting structures. And then the, sometime next week, depending on whether we'll be paving it. So that will be all new. That section from the uh, Belmont Street to Cross Street will be paved. Um, so that's something that we then tell the trash hauler and the bus line and we'll put out a, a, a reverse 911 there, call 311, whatever they call it 
to the residents of the area to let them know what's going on. But um, so there's a lot of coordination that takes prior to doing these projects. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, uh, recently I was talking to someone and I was observing and not really necessarily complaining. But if you're on Bryant Street, yep. it's not it's it's a tough street to navigate. Bryant Street in terms is. of the condition of the, the roads. And then when you get to the end of Malden into Everett, it's smooth. Yeah. And I was talking to someone recently, and I mentioned, I said, you know, Everett has this smooth Bryan Street, and Malden, it's, it's like an obstacle course. And right away he said, Ferry Street. And I said, well, gee, I don't know how they quick they could. Uh, and I mentioned uh, at one point they had done part of Essex Street. Yeah. Uh, and they it, it didn't get the rest for whatever reason they didn't finish it. So you start off from Ferry Street down into Essex Street, and it's it's rough. Yeah. Again, it's and there's cars on both sides, and uh, you get to, to a certain point on Essex Street, and it and it's been done recently, so it's smooth with no ridges and whatever. Yesterday was it was paved. Uh, Essex Street, right? Oh, right. they must have been heard what I was thinking. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so so there's a lot of like I said. Uh, with Ferry Street, but now excuse me, that was before. And so now you're telling me I'm, I'm explaining all the reasons why Ferry Street would be a problem. You got the school there; it's a very tra- a lot of traffic. And now you tell me you're going to be doing it anyway. They're going to be doing it Thursday yeah. and Friday. They'll be milling it. Okay. Um, what we try to do, and sometimes it takes a little longer, is we try to do the underground utilities. And and part of the problem is living with what the street looks like after. But Ferry Street has, we just did last week, 26 new lead service lines on the city side. So we're under that mandate. So we were going to pave the street. So there's all new gas there, and now there's all new water there. And anything that was left lead on the city side, which there was 26 in that area, we converted those to copper lines. So now we shouldn't have to touch Ferry Street for a long time um, where we're going to pave that curb to curb on that area. So How we, many more years you get we, to go? Eight or nine. Eight and, oh, well, then you're... you're I'm covered, set. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm covered. Uh, but, but, but we know there's new water and there's new gas there, and that section should be in good, good shape now moving forward for quite some time. Yeah. Well, other, other things I've missed talking about that maybe you'd like to get out to the public, and, and whether it's... The, you mentioned lead, lead connections. Lead service lines, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're under a mandate to do a minimum of 150 a year. Um, right now, currently, we would still, we'll still work the rest of September, October, November, until the weather really turns bad doing these things. We, we're, we've already met, in, you know, last year we did 230-something uh, new lead services, and this year we're already, we're a little behind because of the corona, with people being on split shifts and all that, but we're still have exceeded our 150. I think going into today we were 172 or something. So we should exceed 200 new lead service lines this year again. Um, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't. So it's uh, there's a lot of them out there, and uh, we're doing our best to, to uh, remove them. But we're definitely exceeding what we're, we're required to do. You, you mentioned the coronavirus. Has the DPW personnel had issues some with some of the staff getting affected with the, the virus? So knock on wood, no. We've had no cases at the DPW. We have taken all kinds of precautions when it was uh, first coming up in March and April there. And we, at one point we went for seven or eight weeks of split crews in case someone did get sick. But thank God we've had no issues of anyone at the DPW having, uh, having the coronavirus or being out. That's interesting because you, the very nature of the job where you're physically working sometimes outside in the weather, which maybe being outdoors is a help, but at the same time, you, it'd be difficult to keep maintaining a mask on when you're sometimes doing some exertion yeah, physically. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the mask. It is difficult, to, I think, to breathe through it. Some are better than others, but we've been very fortunate down there. Uh, we've, we've really tried to take all the precautions we can, but again... Nothing's foolproof. You know, someone can get sick. I, I, before I came here, I had a meeting with the DPW director in Revere uh, down in Linden Square talking about which jurisdiction, who's responsible for what. And we, it, coronavirus w- got brought up, and he has three employees that have been out long-term on, this, on the coronavirus. All three were in the hospital. So, um, you know, I guess it's just a matter of uh, doing everything you can, hope for the best, and... And, uh, you know, we haven't, knock on wood, DPW Malden has not been hit by it. Yeah. 
uh, all of this kind of far afield, but I was in a situation like that. Uh, of course, cities are different than private industry. But, um, those really, by definition, might be job-related, so there could be workers' comp claim. I don't know if they treat them that way. Uh, They're probably paying them anyway, I guess. There's all kinds of systems out there for uh, how they're doing pay if somebody is out and all that. But, again, fortunately, we've had no issues down there. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any anything else that you want to touch base on that you might want to refresh the people's memory as far as making yeah. your job easier and making their life easier? Yeah, again, what I would say as far as like snow is is um, you know please be patient. We're here out here working for you. If you can, if you have a place to put your car off street, um, please do so. It makes our job. A lot easier and then you know once the snow diminishes then we'll clean it all up yeah. we make one pass to try to keep the streets open as the snow is coming down and then as the snow starts diminishing then we push back the snow but if you can anything you can do to help us to keep the streets clear keep your vehicle off the road um, the longer that we can hold on without changing the winter parking regulations the better it is for our residents to have on street parking right. but if there is a storm coming and you have a place to put that car please do so yeah. you, you mentioned your longevity with the with the department uh do, do you remember how many people worked in the dpw when you first started oh it was a lot it was a lot of the highway department i think we had about 50 just in the highway um, I won't forget when I first got hired and you were the mayor and I come up and met a 23-year-old kid. But we had a, we, we had a lot. You had hair then, too. I had hair. Longer hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think maybe it's something to do with age and stress. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, if I had to guess, there might have been 75, 80 guys when I, when I got on. Um, and before that, there was even a lot more. Now, we're, with everybody being in, there's like 37 budgeted positions. That's for that's all for water, highway, parks. That's the whole shooting match. Um, so it, it, in the years, you know, it, things change. Um, you know, we still we're still things. What, what years ago they did for work, we do a little differently now. And you know, we we uh, we got definitely got some good employees down there. Like I said prior, that that work hard for our residents, and uh, you know, it's a it, it's a. My father told me when I first got on there, you know, you go to work, you keep your mouth shut, you work hard, and you get a, a steady paycheck. It didn't mean much at 23 about health insurance and life insurance and pensions, but now, you know, 27 years later, those things are starting to be more more important. So. Uh, you know, kudos to my father that said, "Stick with it." <laughs> yeah. Well, on that on that note, I appreciate you stopping by. And uh, by uh, one thing, I haven't yet asked you, and you can maybe on your way out just mention a phone number to be called if someone has a question and they 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 want to reach someone in the DPW. You know, the you're the really the one that they could talk with. Most people probably have my cell phone by the amount of calls that I get, but I will give you the office number, which is seven eight one. 397-7160 or you can email me directly at rnox at cityofmalden.org um, I usually get back to people immediately depending what time of the day or night it is and uh, we're here for you so any questions or concerns feel free to reach out. And before you leave one more time for both the number and the email rnox r-k-n-o-x at cityofmalden.org Dot org. That's my direct email, and the phone number is 781-397-7160. Bobby, thanks very much. appreciate it. Thanks and for I having me, and I look it, forward to doing it again. And I hope it makes your job a little easier. <laughs> I brought that for you. That's all on the program. Oh, good. Trash and recycling. I, I could uh, talk about my own life, trash and recycling. There you go. But anyway. thanks, uh, for, thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you we'll, coming we'll by. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We did a show last week, and um, one of the issues was we had as a guest was the the, the fire chief here in Malden, uh, Chief Sullivan, Bill Sullivan, and um, the the Malden Fire Department, along with uh, the Malden Lions, are in, are involved and have been involved with a program. And for those who are hearing it for the first time, in, in addition to uh, Malden, Massachusetts, and there's a Malden, England, but it's spelled M-A-L-D-O-N. There is a Malden, Washington, and they're, uh, as I alluded to last week, they're involved with the uh, fire c c 
serious situation, not only in California, but all the way up and down the, the coast. And so briefly, w- what it was is um, through a contact with uh, uh, the Malden Lions and, th- and through the uh, efforts of the, the chief and his personnel at the Malden Fire Department, because of what happened to Malden, Washington, the town literally was 80% of the t- was burnt down, included all the public buildings. And although it's a, it's a small community, it's a, the total population is about a little over 200. And it's got its name, uh, uh, it was, from what I understand, is because when the railroad was uh, finished out that in that area, the, uh, there were pe- uh, someone or people stayed there that were from here, and they, when, once they got large enough to be identified as a location, they designated the, the town to be Mount to be Malden, Washington. But anyway, what has happened last weekend or last Friday, the Malden Fire Department shipped out uh, gift cards collected over the time prior to and after um, the show that was done last week. And the amount that was sent out in gift cards, which is to assist the people because the people living in the community were either in motels or other other sites away from their own home because they don't no longer have a home, some of which uh, are some distance away. And so it, it it allowed them an opportunity to in their trips back and forth home to try and salvage whatever might be still left there and, and the reasons why they, other reasons why they might have had to be back in their community is that make available gift cards which uh, they can use for gas and other related expenses to uh, while they're going through this difficult time. And the Marlin Fire Department, anyway, sent last Friday about $5,000 that they raised along with the support of the business community in the in Malden, along with individuals who heard about it and made a donation by dropping off gift cards at the fire station, central fire station, and by word of mouth and also other sources, uh, and uh, it ended up, as I just mentioned, nearly $5,000 was sent out in cards that are made available to those residents who have been burnt out of their homes. In addition to, to the the fire department, the Malden Lions Club, which I've been a member for many years, and we had as guests, among others, last week, Peter Santangelo, who is the King Lions here in the Malden Lions. Uh, the Malden Lions has sent out, uh, between checks and gift cards, $3,500 for the same purpose as the Malden Fire Department. And when I talked to the chief this morning, it, after sending out all that amount of money or cards, uh, last week, they've now added in since then about another thousand dollars in checks, which will be forwarded out there, so that uh, it ends up that uh, we can be proud of what we did locally. And more important than that is, it's giving to others who who are in need. And yet, even though you don't know their names or you don't even know what they look like, the, the, the generous nature that we have in not only in Malden but across the the country is is and this is an example of it, and re- people reaching out to people, and hopefully in some in our small way we'll be able to make a little bit easier the life that they're going through now because of all the changes that have been uh, occurring. And I will uh, in, a, in a future show uh, give a, a a further update if uh, for any changes that might occur in terms of uh, what's going on from our end to their end and what they're doing from their end. But again. That's a, that's about 9,000 still counting, so that's a very, very impressive total. And uh, having said that, I would like to touch a little bit before the end about the debate last night. It's almost like there were no winners. It was in, it was a very difficult hour and a half. First of all, I, I had originally thought there was two hours, which I thought was too long. And then I found out it was 90 minutes, but it turned out to be a bit longer than that between the setting it up and then the summation and the uh, overlapping of of some of the questions over the time limit. But um, regardless of your affiliation, whether it be Democrat, uh, Republican, unenrolled, or a non-voter, the indication was that, um, first of all, in a survey they're done ahead of time, about 70% of the people indicated whether they're going to watch it or not, they had already made up their mind. And more important than that is a lot of those people had already mailed in the ballots because whether it's Massachusetts or another community, the mail-in system has been set up based on what was able to be done in the primary so that it's become 
in spite of some glitches, and there are not a lot of glitches, and uh, it's become a more efficient and perfected to, to a greater degree in, the, in November as opposed to September. But as you listen to the format, although there were some rules, it was difficult to follow the rules. And again, um, some people will think that the president did better than the vice president, uh, but neither one of them <laughs> covered themselves with glory. I think uh, they expected like, an aggressive presentation by the president, and he, he was that plus some. Um, there was a couple of comments that uh, the Vice President Biden made, which I don't agree with, one of which was calling uh, the president a clown, and the other one other thing was at some point when he got interrupted, told him to shut up. I mean... It was supposed to be in a dignified environment, and I can think of particularly where there's so many of the schools aren't in on physically present in schools that I could see a at the at the uh, as you know uh, seventh grades or eighth grades or even in the high school level, a teacher has an assignment for social studies or history, whatever the subject matter would be, is to have them as the students uh, write a, a paper or email the teacher their reaction to the, uh, the to the debate. And it wasn't really a debate. It was a shouting match to some degree. And it wound up that those younger people, whether they're 12 or 14 or 16, uh, graduating high school this year, when they watched it, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the television this morning indicated almost 70% that the people that they surveyed were annoyed. I think the emotion was much stronger than that, that uh, it, it left an unfavorable impression on our system. And I don't necessarily blame Mike Wallace. I think he tried the best he could to put some controls in place, but that uh, it was very difficult because of the emotion levels of the candidates and also sometimes the give and take wasn't, in a sense, uh, what you would have expected for two people to asking for your vote to run this country and maintain it at its and the, the way it's supposed to be. So in summation, I think there were no winners last night. Probably, if anything, um, uh, the president probably didn't do what he intended to do. A couple of observations were that he, at one point uh, Vice President Biden was asked about uh, the filibuster and the, and, and packing the Supreme Court, uh, he he didn't answer that, and I think that's the reason he didn't answer it because he, again, you in politics you tend to give answers that re, reinforce what you want people to think or necessarily walk away from being too specific in in, in an answer that might alienate your your voters. That's what happened to the president when they start talking about the extreme groups, the uh, white supremacists. He he gave an answer that. Please, no one, particularly if you were talking about reaching out to people, he didn't do that. So, again, but that's an example. Either either way, neither one of them covered themselves with glory. There's two more debates. The next time around, although the next one is with the vice president, I, I, I think that might be a little bit softer in terms of what's going to happen. But that uh, hopefully, it, at least, it'll be less of uh, what happened, contentious as it showed up last night. And with that, I want to thank you for listening. I hope you've come away with some information that's been helpful to you. We'll be doing a show next Wednesday. We have Michael Goldman, who's uh, a political consultant, I w he might, which I would expect he would have a lot to say about last night. And there'll be more things to talk about because the vice president will have their debate next week as well. So thanks again. I appreciate it. You're listening. And enjoy the weather for, for, uh, as you can. And uh, watch out for those branches on the trees. <laughs>